0: You're listening to a Southern Star media production.
1: Yeah, I remember John Hume coming to the house. I would have been privately or quietly or, you know, not in a public place meeting. Uh, that would have been in the 70s, I would say, come for, sit at the table for dinner and then the two of them would go off into the into the other room. Um, but I do, I have memories of, uh, for my father was elected to the doll first in 1969 and uh, that was the time that the troubles broke out, the, the Battle of the Balkh side the British Army moved in that August into, into um, the north. And we were renting a house, as we always did at that time, in Garrison for holidays, for the, for the month of August. And i we were going into Coakley's Hotel with him and watching. We were allowed into the residence lounge to see the six o'clock news, as everybody did, just packed in there and watching the screens on the television. And after that, um, my father, who had just been elected TD P- Peter Barry, he went up to the north and he tells us so. He knocked on John Hume's door. I don't know if he uh, did that. That was the symbol. He did contact him. Went up and personally, contacted him uh, to know what he could do uh, as in his position to um, have some input into resolving the situation and the human rights issues that it was at the time.
0: Hello and welcome to the Southern Stars Coronavirus podcast. I'm the news editor Siobhan Cronin and this week's interview is with Fine Gael MEP Deirdre Clune. Deirdre was first elected to Europe for the Ireland South constituency in 2014 after a political career which had already spanned stints in both Dahl and Shannon After last year's European elections and a long count in Cork City, she got the fifth and final seat. What's more, this seat was known as the Brexit seat because it only became available when the UK left Europe. So in January of this year, Deirdre began her second term in the European Parliament. Deirdre, the daughter of former Thonistha Peter Barry, is also a member of the family which founded and owns the iconic Cork brand Barry's Tea. She spoke about this and much more, including a visit by her father to John Hume's house in our recent interview. Deirdre, welcome! And um, you're back in Europe now after a pretty uh, tough few days at the election count there, 2019. Mm-hmm. And you got the fifth seat, which was known as the Brexit seat at the time, which meant you could only take up the seat uh, after Britain had officially left, which was, I think, January of this year. So tell me yeah. a little bit about that. Was a very frustrating time for you. It was your it was your um, second election count, um, I think, since 2014 for the Europeans. So did you find that a very stressful few days?
1: Um, I did and I didn't if you know what, I mean I suppose my my all, my all point always in uh, elections uh, once the ballot box is sealed it's sealed and there's no point in wasting energy unnecessarily worrying about it and the outcome will be what it'll be but uh, it, being my second uh, European election you you really uh, you know you just have to stick with it for the for the last furlong because this it's such a unknown it's such an unknown you've got Ten counties. Were we twelve counties actually this time? Twelve counties. Cork uh, was the biggest population, yes, certainly. Uh, but there was uh, eleven other counties, and you didn't know how people were going to vote or how what impression you'd made if you'd even even if they'd heard of you in some counties because Lee and just came into the constituency in the last few months before the election. So it was it was very difficult um, to to know how it would go, and you were watching uh, transfers, which are. Extremely important, ex- extremely important, and I suppose over those few days I was written off, and I was written in, and I was written off. Yeah, so, um, right. I go, with, I'll go with the punches. I, I, I'm I'm used to it from from elections, um, but then I I did. I in the end, you know, I got a, a large transfer of votes, and that secured the seat which, which was great and I think you know that was down to I knew I had spent a lot of time I'd worked hard for the previous five years and that's what stood to me in, in transfers mm-hmm. in an election people had heard of me they'd been involved or I'd connected with them somehow and there was an awareness and that's the, that's the most important thing in a European election to try and get your name out there that people will have heard of you and uh, will give you as we say a scratch you know be number one might be two might be three might be six mm-hmm. but uh, they all count Exactly. And it just showed that they did
0: on that occasion. And then you had a very strange time because you had about six months before you got to take up the seat. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you were and then you were back in Europe in January. And then, of course, March, we had we had the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how your experience of Europe has been because an awful lot has changed since you took that first seat in 2014. And, um, you know, we've had the rise really of right-wing politics in a lot of States we've had Brexit and now we have the pandemic. So an awful lot must be happening. I mean, have you lost any of your initial enthusiasm for Europe?
1: Uh, No, absolutely. I haven't lost my enthusiasm for Europe. In fact, I think if anything, it's uh, more enforced, uh, particularly after Brexit. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, the debate around Brexit coming up to the vote and then the shock on our part anyway, maybe not some people weren't shocked, they were happy with the outcome. I wasn't. Uh, I was disappointed for lots of reasons. We, uh, we'd lost a good friend and um, we'd also, uh, you know, it, Europe is diminished. That's why it is smaller. But I think what, what drives me on is the reason for Europe and how important it is. And I think you know, the statement that Ireland's. Place is at the heart of Europe now and we're not going the Brexit route, we are at the heart of Europe and that's actually given me more more enthusiasm and, and, and I think we've done really, really well in Europe, not just fi- financially and investment and we can have all those discussions, but I think as a nation in terms of our maturity and standing up and taking our place among the nations of the world, we um, Europe and the confidence it's given us, the membership there, the, uh, our membership of Europe, and that confidence has been um, extraordinary for a country. We've you know learned to stand on our own two feet without the UK. Um, we've embraced Europe more so than they ever did. Uh, we've separated from from Sterling, which is a big. Imagine that discussion. I remember vaguely. Remember that discussion. A big, big deal. Uh, but we we we're we're there now, and uh, we're contributing more and more. In fact, uh, you know Ireland. If you see, like we had Mairead McGuinness's um, uh, selection as commissioner, and that's been really positive for us in the Parliament. She's she's been a, a excellent excellent MEP, and, and is going to make an excellent commissioner. So we know Ireland is playing a very strong role across a number of fronts. So. From my point of view, I'm really enthusiastic about Europe more so than ever. I think there's so many questions that you see there now that probably we're not, we don't cover a lot here in Ireland. We're not so much aware of it. The um, questions around uh, security, uh, cyber security is a big challenge. there now very much aware of it. In the, um, and, and Russia, the threat from Russia, which, you know, we in Ireland, a small country uh, on the western seaboard, we... Um, we don't really; it's not on our agenda every day, but it is a big concern for those countries in Eastern Europe, in particular. And now with the presidential election in the US, we can see it resurrecting, the radar. it's head yeah. again, and all. That. So it's back. So these big questions, the whole issue of migration. I mean, I think it's mm. it's not just a, an issue for the for the small member states that are on the front, like Greece, like Malta, like like Italy. Not such a small state, but still has to bear an enormous. Um, uh, responsibility in terms of dealing with with, with migrants, so, but but it should be a European issue. And there's a number of fronts and how how we're we going to deal with, in terms of the immediate looking after individuals, the long term, working to ensure that where they if they're coming from a war torn area, what role can you play, or what role can Europe play in helping out their Economic migrants, um, you know, it's okay to say sorry, no economic migrants, but at the same time, what are we doing to ensure that they don't need to leave their area? So all these big questions and the, the, the climate change area, the climate law, we introduced uh, that recently. Uh, you know, that's a, a big question, a big issue for, for Europe. And then the, the targets that Europe establishes and sets will reflect on for Ireland. And it mean, for all of us, it's going to mean changes in how we live, how we, how we heat our homes, how we move for ourselves course. around transport. Mm-hmm. There's lots of it. So all these come from Europe. Mm. Uh, oh, and these are decisions that are taken. We don't see them uh, every day. We don't hear, re- read about them or hear them in the media because you know there's there's, the, there's the, the national agenda which is really important. But they will come and they will have an effect. And decisions I take and my colleagues take the other uh, MEPs, uh, the thirteen of us, the t- decisions we take do have an effect and they do become a reality. So it's a really important forum, and I'm certainly in more enthused by it for it now than, than I was before because I think you, you can make a difference and I also think it's an opportunity now the way globally the way the world is changing and you China, you've the US an election coming up there I think Europe can play a really uh, strong role and we're part of that
0: so. Right and now Deirdre can I just take you back a little bit um, well maybe a long bit
1: <laughs> to your up-
0: upbringing Well it's in- a long time ago <laughs> Well, I'm not too far behind you and, and in Black Rock as well. So we've a lot in common, I think. Yes, but, yes. Um, but you were the daughter of a TD at a very prominent TD and the granddaughter of another TD, which I think a lot of people don't realize. So your house, which was, of course, Peter Barry's house um, and your maiden name is Deirdre Barry. Your house yes. must have been wall to wall politics since you were a pipsqueak. So it was really. Yeah, I mean, I grew
1: up in politics. Absolutely, Absolutely. I think. Yeah, my father, I maybe stood in 1967 for the local elections. I would have been about seven at the time. Yeah, for so local elections, elected to Cork Corporation at the time, and then the Dáil in 1969. So we were always, I was, I grew up with politics. It's always a busy house. I mean, my grandfather, my my father used to be my grandfather's election agent. (laughs) Uh, So there was always, like, always boxes of leaflets in the corner. And in those days, you didn't have constituency offices as we have now. Uh, People would be called to the house. So there was always, I remember always, there was a notepad by the phone. And anybody who called, you made sure you took a name and a number and didn't let, I mean, I've I've learned that (laughs) always have a number because in case you got the message wrong, there was a way of communicating back. But people would call to the house. And were you out uh, on
0: on doorsteps with the leaflets from a
1: young age? Leaflets from a young age, yeah. I remember doing the, um, do you remember, uh, Fado, Fado, when you could Mm -hmm. uh, give out leaflets outside the polybooth. Yes. I was a uh, there. <laughs> and the Black church. Rock, it would be regular. Oh, church, church, yeah, outside leaflets, outside the church, outside the polling booths, and you'd be trying to vie with the other candidate or the other parties to get the, the best into their hand. <laughs> definitely, if you got the leaflet into their hand, you'd definitely change their vote. So it was, I mean, when you think of it now, the things that were. That was the, that was that was communication. That's how we communicated. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I was from a very young age dealing and leaflets through letterboxes, and then as I was a bit older, assisting and canvassing and canvassing. And I remember uh, coming up to elections, uh, helping out with my mother at home too. And there was always um, there was a tradition. I don't know. You'd go and give tea, fruit cake, and sandwiches to the um, those that were standing outside the polling booth, or those that were uh, working for the party in at polling booths because they couldn't get out. So that would be the big preparation as well, preparing all that, putting it in the back of the car and driving around. So it was, there was, it was an army and everybody was involved. Absolutely, yeah, but it was very so. I, I actually, I I know, I I never really studied politics, or no, but it's something as you grow up with it, you absorb it. it was um, in your blood, so in anyway. My, in my blood, well, you had yeah, no
0: choice. Definitely. And I think you mentioned to me before you had some very interesting callers to the house. I mean, your father had quite senior positions in government and was tarnished at one stage. Did you? Um, did you mention to me? Was John Hume a caller to the
1: house? Yeah, I remember John Hume coming to the house. It would have been privately or quietly or, you know, not in a public place meeting. Uh, that would have been in the 70s, I would say, come for, sit at the table for dinner and then the two of them would go off into the, into the other room. Um, but I do, I have memories of, uh, for my father was elected to the Dáil first in 1969 and uh, that was the time that the troubles broke out, the, the Battle of the Bogside. the British Army moved in that August into, into um, the North. And we were renting a house, as we always did at that time, in garrestown for holidays, for the, for the month of August. And then we were going into Coakley's Hotel with him and watching. We were allowed into the residence lounge to see the six o'clock news, as everybody did, just packed in there and watching the screens on the television. And after that, um, my father, who, who had just been elected TD Peter Barry, he went up to the north and he tells us so he knocked on John Hume's door. I don't know if he uh, did that that was the symbol and he did contact him went up and personally contacted him uh to know what he could do uh, as a, in his position to um have some input into resolving the situation and the human rights issues that it was at the time for uh the people those that were catholic in the north so that was i think that those probably those images defined his his career in politics and i, I remember being there as in eight ten year eight nine year old at the time and um uh, just being you know that, that, that's an abiding image I have and I know uh then when things went on and we now have we find we had the uh, Sunningdale agreements and um ending up with the good good Friday agreement so um
0: so he was right there from the start just, so obviously uh, yeah yeah the whole that, Brexit debate if is if probably very um you know close to your heart in that you knew that your father from a, a long time was was fighting for peace there and so yeah but to do it by peaceful now, means
1: is the thing yeah that's always the way like you know do it like i mean i remember when um he f- signing the anglo-irish agreement and saying and i he didn't say he said it at home but i saw him saying it on television too publicly that you know he could finally say to the mothers in armagh south armagh that the ballot box was much better uh than the bombs or the bullets and that's where he wanted to to get to 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 demonstrate that by dialogue you can make progress so
0: and so tell me um you, now that you're in europe and apart, part I, I presume brexit is high in your agenda but i know there's some other issues that are you're particularly interested in and i know in the last um under the last regime tourism was very high in your agenda and now you're very yeah. involved in digital strategy what, what are your top three priorities this time around do you think deirdre
1: well top three priorities obviously um Brexit will be one uh, and I'm not on it there's no committee or it, but i think it's it's really really important to show that Ireland's voice is heard there very conscious in the mo- at the moment even the uh the music the mood music isn't isn't good i i'm, con- I'm con- even you know, what's going to happen if there is an no deal what's going to happen for, for transport in the area I'm very involved in transport in a- aviation and road access. If if things don't work out, up to the thirty first of, of of December. So there, um, the 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 Brexit certainly is all consuming at at the moment, and you know we'll be watching that too. Climate law, climate change, and how that's going to change for Ireland for for Irish farmers, because uh, the Common Agricultural Policy is coming up to a review of that. There's going to have to be an emphasis on greening, to use a better term, and that will payments be linked to greening measures uh i think it that there the will be there's a there has to be a balance between um what consumers want now and and farmers and agriculture is 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 one of our biggest industries something i understand very well coming from not from directly from the land but everybody and everybody has uh, 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 my mother k and her family came from um uh Farms near in a, in the Scarab Larney direction. So I understand from visiting well the, the uh, from visiting them as well. And to speak to, of course, agriculture is a is a, a, and is is a big issue, a big concern for, for Ireland South and the future of our our food industry. It's not just the farmers themselves, but it's the whole ecosystem and the um, good quality food that we produce. And we need to pres- preserve that and uh, uh, make sure that that that, that is pre- that is protected. Uh, so I'm f- very conscious of that as a v- very important issue for the, for the constituency that, that I represent, and fisheries as well. The fisheries is probably the real stumbling block in the Brexit ne- negotiations. Uh, we look forward to some uh, reasonable resolution there, a resolution there because there's so many livelihoods the, on the coast of Cork in particular that depend on the whole fishing sector well, and the access dependency... to the UK waters.
0: Penalty points is a big issue for them at the moment, and yeah. um, the signing in of that um, s i recently by by um, Tuk martin i think has, has ruffled a few feathers in the in this this area in particular for the um, fishermen who feel that they're very under um, pressure as it is with brexit coming down the tracks and God knows what other issues so i presume you've 've had a lot of um, representation yep. from the fishermen of yes of, of well, Ireland. Yep.
1: Yeah, we have, and we're very much aware of that. And um, previously I had a lot of engagement with Michael Creed, who's responsible for this area, and now we're looking to meet with um, Minister McGonagall as well. And he's been very, he's contacted us when he's been in Brussels and we'll hope to to set up meetings there. But I'm very very conscious of that and how how important that is for individuals, um, for their livelihoods, really, in, in this constituency. Uh, the new so they're they're probably the areas that come to, come to mind immediately. And yeah. um, I'm the committees I'm working on is the whole digital area and mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, and how does the it's the internal market and consumer affairs committee. So, how are we going to move forward and, and embrace this because it can be artificial intelligence can be extremely important. It can solve a lot of problems for us, but at the same time, we wouldn't want to let it take dash, over.
0: Data protection issues there as well. I I assume.
1: Absolutely, yeah, data protection issues and how do we, data is is, is the new oil, they say. Uh, so who owns that data? Everybody should, I mean, Europe has come a long way and with its uh, general data protection regime, we're all very conscious of it now. Uh, and um, more, has, more has to be done in that area to ensure that, you know, that the large companies, and I'm talking about the large tech companies here, By the way, who I think, you know, we're all very happy to avail of the services and we love the services that they provide, Uh, but they're using our data and should that be available to small businesses as well? Should These are the questions that we're looking at because we want in the big marketplaces, we don't want small businesses squeezed out just because there are uh, dominant forces there. So that's the balance. Deirdre you're you're
0: mentioning um, technology there and technology has really come into its own uh, since Mm. the pandemic and a lot of people are curious how functions and um, services like the European Commission are functioning and especially when all their members are in other member states so how, how is that are you getting over much can you are there flights direct flights or how's that all working out?
1: Well, I can go over. Yes, the, the, Belgium is a red zone, uh, and but I can go over there. And if I come back, I have to uh, self-isolate, restrict my movements. Sorry, I have to restrict my movements for 14 days. So I did it. I, I didn't do it until September. I went over for a week in September to meet because I have two people working with me there and to attend the plenary session. Uh and I just I, I restricted my movements for two weeks after that. So I'll do it again before Christmas. But you know, it's, uh, it's three weeks. It's it's a lot. And uh, you know, when you're living at home with family, it's uh, it can be. It's it's not that easy, uh, and it's not ideal. But um, but having said that, uh, we can work remotely completely. Everything. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how the European Parliament has stepped up so quickly. Uh, all our voting sessions now. We're given the ballot paper uh, online, and you vote, print it off, sign it, and you can take a photograph with your cam your, with your phone and send it back to them, and that's um, that's acceptable. So we've come come a long way from that point of view. Maybe not all the travelling was necessary, but still, as, as as everybody knows who works through Zoom or through a, through a, a, a PC. Le- lens now they know that uh, you can't beat the personal contact and meeting people mm-hmm. we're naturally when that's that's what we do but we like to meet people and uh, make contact uh, that chat over the cup of coffee or whatever is or the, let's have lunch let's discuss things let's thrash it out uh, we don't have that option uh, which mm-hmm. which i miss and i know lots of people do but still technology has been fantastic and keeping people together. If we were in this pandemic without the level of uh, communication that's available to us, I think it would be a really, a very, very different story. But um, as and, and, and regards flights, I mean, I looked, mm-hmm. I've been, I flew from, when I went, I went through, flew from Cork uh, to Amsterdam and got the train to Brussels. And uh, it's sad to see the airport so quiet at the moment. And mm-hmm. uh, I know everybody's very, really concerned about it. Uh, I visited them there too. And I'm. it's, um, you know, it's really worrying. We need to get a unified system in place across Europe that will allow some form of travel to to um to return or to to, to return to well never going to not going to be normal levels for a while. We mm. get some confidence back. But I just I mean I would think that people the message you get out too from people I found it and I, I knew it, but they're really the standards in the airport and on the planes is um very high. They're their uh, social distancing cleanliness uh, the criteria that they use it's really impressive and they're all guided not just by uh, their own regulations locally but by the european air safety association uh, and the european center for disease control so the, they're the kind of measures that irish airports and those airlines operating in and out of ireland are using uh, the same across europe so they're to a very high standard so flying itself is, is very safe and you, of course we all wear masks and you keep your distance and wash your hands so it is it is a it the the standards there are are very high and it is a safe operation
0: and would you be in favor of um, pre-flight testing which i think is what the airports are looking for at the moment in ireland
1: Mm -hmm. Um, well it depends on yes i mean yes it it depends on the area you're going to um if you're testing if i When I go to Brussels now, um, I can get a test there. Well, I mean, asked to isolate, but you can after five days, if you're clear, you can uh, not. uh, You don't have to isolate or you don't have to restrict your movements. Uh, That's not going to. I mean, we don't have any system here in Ireland to, you know, to recognize that. It's just plain. It's um, 14 days and that's it. You isolate if you've been abroad. If you're coming from a different location, so that's not unless it's a green unless it's a green area. So, but that's not until that such time as that changes. I think um, I don't see, I don't think it would be of any use to anybody coming into Ireland.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, Deirdre, you got a bit of slagging there online from um, Billy Kelleher, I noticed your colleague in Europe about Barry's tea, and a lot of people realise... The connection there so I mean a lot of people would wonder have you any much involvement with the company now or does that take a back seat
1: or growing well, up I was, um, that, no well growing up yeah I, I mean it was just it was the job my, my father did had, it was the tea shop the tea evolved from a small shop in town a grocery shop and the tea was the product was popular and they just from that recognized that and grew it to what it is today so my brother Tony is involved in the business now Um and that's it but other than yeah not many people know that I grew up with the um group I am a Barry as my was my maiden name so Barry's Tea and it's become uh really I think even in these times it's become uh, really popular and people you know recognize it's the, they go back to not back to tradition but back to the things that you maybe grew up with or that are that comfort, comfort food free, that you already. recognize comfort food yeah <laughs> yes. uh, because I, um, I noticed
0: so it it has become one of the, you know, these um surveys they do on trusted brands of Ireland and recognizable brands and it has moved up the rankings quite a lot in the last few years. So I mean that must be a great um reassurance to you too that it's such a lovely, recognizable and respected brand.
1: Yeah, it is it is nice. It's nice to know um and because I, I know it know and where it's where it's come from. It was my my great grandfather established the product first uh and nineteen well the late eighteen hundreds early nineteen hundreds and then my grandfather was in it, my father, my brother tony now, so it's um it's been in the family for, for for a long time well, the family's been associated with it so and it has grown as has grown as a i think the the marketing campaign has helped and and it, well it's a good product too, so um I think Billy was um Billy, even Billy drinks tea, drinks berries. So that he does. He was <laughs>
0: upset that someone had
1: put lions in his. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Brussels, I think. So, um, well, I, I bring it with me all the time. Anyway, when you're traveling around of the the bags, um, the tea bags for wherever you end up. It's obviously some well, some comfort and some some help from home. That's good Lots to know. And
0: I I also um, noted that you have spoken in the past about you're a big fan of reading, and um, I was just wondering what you're reading at the moment, and you often seem to dip into political books, I notice, but are you reading, watching, or listening to anything in particular that's giving you a little bit of relief
1: from COVID and relief from the day job? um and with summertime is different yeah i'm reading uh what i'm reading at the moment i'm reading and i'm trying to get through it the milkman by anna burns
2: oh yes Uh, i've read that i loved it it's quite heavy but it's
1: very funny it's quite heavy yeah yeah, and I've learned to have to do, you have to give it time you have to you go do. with it and, and you probably need to do I, I've been dipping in and out of it now for a number of weeks but you need to do it in a run because um, it's quite you have to get into it get you into do, the zone because
0: when you leave it you've
1: lost the, you've the thread of her you've lost the, kind of exactly yeah, yeah. that's what I'm reading at the moment and actually and um, uh, we've finished watching here at home the, um, James Comey the, um nice. finished Comey that last five, yeah. Tuesday night yeah. I think yes did yeah and very interesting because yeah, I'd read the book right? Uh, and I, I was just interested, I read the book um, and I suppose it's become relevant now, he's the around the, uh, we have another Europe, US election uh, I was interested in his dealing with the Hillary files and Trump at the time, the emails and all that um, so I think it, it portrayed him well, of course another one was Brent, Brendan Gleason was in it uh, but you just Do you
0: think he, he did Trump?
1: Oh, I don't know, it's, it's um. I think he needed to road? be a bit heavier, didn't he? It's a difficult one. It's a very <laughs> it's a difficult one, yeah. Yeah, yeah he needed to be a bit heavier. But, but I, ju- I thought, um, yeah, you just realise, oh my God, some of the things he did, and is he still doing? Uh, and where has um, where has it, how has it changed that things become acceptable? And I thought it was interesting in the coming files of the Deputy um, Attorney General, how he was with Come originally, then at the end, when he was fin- when it finished up, he was saying, "Well, he, you know, he had he had hardened, he changed in his attitude." Mm. Um, so maybe things have changed too over the last four years. We'll see the results of the election. And are you? But I, I like um, to do. I like to look at and um, to learn. I like to look at documentaries uh, and things like that and to learn. Mm. And do you um, listen see, to podcasts to, to, to
0: much, um, Deirdre, or is it audio books, or is it the radio?
1: Radio, podcast radio too. When I'm I mean, Since COVID started now, I've, um, walking, I'm walking, I try and get a walk at night, and you'd always know, listen back to what happened in the news of the day and pick up items and listen to podcasts. Um, uh, I, I, and Tony, Tony Connolly's Brexit podcast is good for getting a. Yeah, that's what's happening in Brexit. I'm reading so much, but sometimes you just need to hear the voice of it so yeah pick up on and follow up on issues And if there's something happening in the day you know at night time you catch up on podcasts and when you're when you're walking or uh you know when you're in bed at night so it's it's good it's it's a good way it's, it's great it's great you, you so you never i mean the tradition that you had to listen to the news at one or the news in the morning six o'clock watch the six o'clock news they're all gone now because you can do it any time of the day that you want so um, again the benefits of technology Sometimes maybe you have too much information, but I think it's great that it's there, and you can control it and turn it on and off as you as you want.
0: Well, you you sound like a bit of um, a news nerd like myself, I suppose. And all the politicians off, are. And I know they
1: were saying off. <laughs> very hard to switch off, yeah. And uh, I was saying at home, like I've one son, Robert, he's home working at the moment now, and he sees he's never realised the routine when he, you know, the nine o'clock news, prime time bbc news news CNN later yeah. I cnn i think it's all junky junky yeah, yeah. Uh, but
0: at least but you're uh,
1: absorbing.
0: exactly at least we, we can access it all now which is great it's such a it
1: is great yes yeah. yeah. so you're never alone you're never alone and you have always no, this your phone or your television your ipad whatever
0: well listen dear it was lovely talking to you today and um best of luck in europe and um hope i hope you'll get back there um um in in physical mode as well as virtual mode very soon and uh, we'll talk to you again hopefully
1: great thank you very much yvonne great to chat you and see you in person soon i hope absolutely and so to this week's newspaper
0: our front page features a photograph of skull resident ian bailey who was back in the high court in dublin this week to hear that a third bid by french authorities to have him extradited has failed Mr Bailey has thanked the people of West Cork, who he says stood by him, despite his conviction in Paris last year, of the murder of Sophie Tuscon de Plantier. We also have the story that a war of words has broken out over large fishing vessels which were spotted trawling for Sprat close to shore this week, after a ban on such practices was overturned in the courts last week. Inside we are following the case involving the woman who was charged with murdering her ex-husband in McCroom two years ago, and the seizure of €140,000 worth of suspected drugs in the latest drugs haul to take place in Bantry. We also have reports of several businesses that have opted to close temporarily as a member of staff or a close contact of one has tested positive for COVID-19. In features, we have an article by first-year UCC law student Alicia O'Sullivan, who writes about the challenges of college life under coronavirus restrictions. We also have communion and confirmation photos from around the regions and all our usual columnists. A new cartoon from Tom Halliday and the Audi Q3 Sportback is reviewed in this week's motoring section. In business we have budget reaction and in farming we have a very fascinating story about a farmer who is issuing a warning about an unusual disease that has decimated his herd. Two businesswomen are telling their story of successfully turning around their businesses due to COVID-19 in this week's Life and Community section. Plus you have all the usual local notes and photos from your own area. So don't forget, if you can't get to the shops, you can subscribe online by going to southernstar.ie and clicking on the e-paper tab. Or call the office on 028 21200 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. And now for this week's musical treat. Singer-songwriter Billy Kennedy has released a new single, Sea Creatures, this week, which was written with Sheila O'Leary and has been dedicated to their friends and neighbours from Church Bay and Crosshaven, who turned up to support Billy's Saturday night concerts from his front patio during the last few months. The video for the song was recorded in Church Bay and animated by Billy. It features many familiar scenes from Cork Harbour. The song is available to buy exclusively on IslandofMusic.ie. You can also find out more about Billy at BillyKennedy.ie.
2: You turn out the light on a holy star filled night. I follow you. You're. A
0: forget to like share and subscribe to our podcast which is available now on itunes spotify youtube acast stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening to another southern star media podcast production stay connected to west cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local quality and trusted journalism visit
1: www.subscribe.southernstar.ie